I think between a lot of things that went on, I think a lot of people looked around between some of the, you know, social stuff that went on and economic work and said, oh, like, I don't want to be in the foxhole with this company. Like, you know, I now I'm seeing how this leader behave or or I'm watching what my friend is posting on Facebook and I I am not sure we value the same things. And so I think values really come out when you put a little pressure, you know, you put in a pressure cooker. It's actually when you want to double down on your values. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. This podcast will give you hope for the future and introduce you to people who are paving the way for a better future for us all. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, We've been celebrating all the insight and innovation going on in the world that we're not hearing nearly enough of in the media. And I've been having conversations with thought leaders all around the world almost the whole time, and just recently decided to start sharing those with you and the world. I'm telling you, the people that are making the world a better place have this vision of the future right there in front of them, and it's what keeps them going day to day. And it's important that we understand that vision and that we use the, some of the things that they find so useful as coping skills to keep making our days brighter too. So today we have this wonderful guest, Bob Blazer. I'm not sure how I discovered Bob, but several years ago, I discovered his um, Friday's Forward blog. Would you call it a blog, Bob? Uh, it, it's, I mean, the newsletter, I guess, but it, it exists online too. So it can be whatever you want it to be. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a little introduction and then we're going to talk about that and a wonderful book that you've written and a fabulous course. And, oh, you're giving so much to the world. I just, I just love Bob. Bob is definitely a thought leader in what I consider his gift of being very concise with words and translating some of our harder subjects in really commonsensical, graceful ways. So his newsletter is one of only two that I make time to read end-to-end every single week, he and Seth Godin. So Bob has an unusual background that brings him to us with a, a lot of experiences that give him insights into many, many corners of our day-to-day existence. He starts out with a really ordinary person's story, and um, he became the... the, the uh, the founder and builder of a $20 million company. And I just learned all this when I did your background, Bob. He is has so much humility. I would have never known that about you. You uh, know my day job, not my <laughs> night job. Yeah. Oh, well, you, you, my you night, know. Actually, you know my night job, not my day job. Sorry, I got that backwards. Yeah. Oh, he's a wonderful family man. He's been on the Dr. Oz show. <laughs> oh, there's so many rabbit holes we could go down. But Bob, help us understand the gist of your work and how you're sharing that with us all. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of this happened by accident or I think sort of falling into purpose at some point. But yeah, mm-hmm. what, what has kept me busy for the last 14 years is building a, a company and an organization. And as that company started to grow uh, called Acceleration Partners, um, I, I really I wanted to challenge some of the traditional notions of 
of work and how people worked and to avoid a lot of the politics and the things that I didn't like about mm-hmm. a lot of the companies that that I had uh, worked with. And so I became passionate not about knowing like what we do, but how how we did it and, and, and sort of leadership and kind of this notion of capacity building, uh, both personally in terms of how, how do I get better and then seeing that that could be the great win-win if we could invest in people, help them you know, get better, that we would get the business benefit of that. And, and, and they would really get a lot of benefits outside of work. And I think that, I, I think leadership is one of the best tools that we have for, for change. So, you know, I, I, I want to see better companies and better people. And I think, I think the impact that a good leader has versus a, a you know, a negative leader and how that, how the ripple effect of that is, is, and those can be the same people at, at different points in their life. And I, I'm sure I have, I have been too, but that, but that's something that stuck with me. And so I started, you know, writing and talking about these things as a, as a, as a side gig and, and it became a, <laughs> became a main gig. So um, yeah, I still, I still have two jobs. I have the day job and the, uh, the night and weekend job. So let's just separate them out little bit by little bit, because I really want people to be able to access the kind of insight that you're sharing these days. So I forgot to mention your Ted talk because that relates to exactly what you said. Yeah. I'm telling you, your TED Talk has has a message that resonated so deeply with me. I, I'm not putting it nearly as good as, as you can, but I remember I too have been a boss. I have a huge staff uh, for 30 years. My husband and I are two dentists and we have 13 to 17 employees. And boy, when somebody gives me two weeks notice, <laughs> yeah. that, that really hurts. And you hit this kind of interpersonal relationship issues in the in the TED Talk. Tell give give us some thoughts that you remember from yeah. Preparing so that this talk. you know this the, well the policy came again. We were building the company and 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 trying to build a good culture and a great place to work and running into this two week notice thing and saying like this just doesn't make any sense. You know I think this is a this is a playbook and an operating system we've been running far past you know when we should. When you think about it, there's this huge thing of cognitive dissonance today because. Mm-hmm. We know that employment's not for life. Like we know what the best companies in America, Google or Facebook, like the average ten years, maybe two two years. So we know it's not for life, but it, it ends really poorly at most companies, right? Either there's a discussion where, hey Linda, you know, we got to talk, and can you leave today and put your stuff in a cardboard box, or someone saying hey, I'm giving you two weeks notice after four or five years and telling you they're happy. Or these days before the pandemic, like two days notice. And and probably with the labor market getting so hot and, and you know, a, a generation that had a decade of not seeing a recession, you know, not understanding any any downside in in, in doing that. And it just it's like, this is crazy. Why are we all? It, it, it's like car insurance. We're looking for fault. Like the person left. Like, is it, are they, are they fired or were they, or did they quit? Right. Why, why, why isn't it just like, it's just time to do something different. And, and, and usually the fire or quit is after a, a period of frustration. So we tried to just do something different and we tested it with someone years ago and we said, Hey, we don't think this is going to work, but you can work here for a few months. And why don't we help you find a new job? And transition someone on your accounts and you can interview. And it, it just became this notion of like having actually a transition period and not, not having this be like, you know, having a productive alumni group and understand that people will leave and we need to get over ourselves and we need to not get upset about it. And on the flip side, we're asking them to own it and be honest and say that, look, we've made it really safe. Like you can come say, Hey, I think I want to do something different. 
and no one is going to ask you to leave. No one's going to walk you in the door. Like we're going to start a conversation and we've, we've made that accountable to our employees. Like, you know, they, you know, we will not do that. And, 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 you know, obviously it will blow the whole thing. People still, no matter how much we talk about it or a Ted talk or a, we actually like pay people to give us like six weeks notice, like a bonus. Like we're dead serious about like having this time. Like we really don't care about paying you for like eight weeks. We'd rather have the time. We're in a client service business, but I would say we are still much more upfront about this than I think employees are. And what's interesting is, you know, they don't tell us sometimes when they start the interview process, then they get a job. And then the employer's like, can you start in two weeks? And they're like, well, I have to. And it's funny, like we never do that to other people. Like if I have someone who wants to wrap up a job well at another place, like I'm like, well, that's the type of person I want to hire. I don't want to tell them to. So, so look, we, we have made a lot of progress. I think we've pushed the paradigm on this, but it's still really hard. And it's still hard for a lot of people that have never done this before and are used mm-hmm. to, hey, when it's time to well, think about it, like you and I worked together for five years. I want to do something different. I can't have that conversation with you. And so now I start having doctor's appointments and disappearing. <laughs> and then and then when I leave, you're like, oh, crap, he's been lying to me for like a month. Like the whole thing oh, just doesn't I make know. sense. It, yeah, especially with people that are kind of this servant leaders. You know, I, I feel like I'm serving so many people all day long. Yeah. And for a servant leader to have somebody just give you a two weeks notice. Oh, it feels. Right. It feels or, or, or you tell them their job is over and the way, give them yes. two weeks severance. It's yeah. sort of the same. Yeah. You know, the same thing. So it, I, I, I equate this to like no fault car insurance, which yes. is just like. Look, it, these things come to an end. And so, and, you know, we have an alumni group. Like, we hope to have a really, you know, we're an agency. I mean, McKinsey pioneered this years ago. Like, you want to leave, they, like, train you, pay you, send you to the world, and you're going to go hire McKinsey for the next 20 years, right? So, it's a, it's worked for them for a long time. So, let, have a listen to Bob's TED Talk. We'll, we're going to put everything we talk about today, Bob, we'll put down in the show notes so people can get to it easily. But if you're a, a leader or if you work for someone and you feel like the, the fit um, isn't as good as it used to be, there is such a counterintuitive and wonderful way that Bob describes how we can preserve our relationships and just both acknowledge that it's time to move on. And I love this concept of the productive alumni group. I think in the future, that's really going to be a measure of people as leaders is what their former employees say about them. Yeah, I look, if you ask me like what I would want the legacy of our company to be, I love these companies where you're like, oh, these seven CEOs, they all came from Acme Corp, right? Or whatever. Right. Like I, I want to be, we will, should be want to be a company where people come from. Yeah. Like I don't have delusions yeah. that people will work here forever. Yeah, it's love. It's a lovely idea. And it goes, it goes really well, you can see that reflected through your work in the also counterintuitive way that you handle a lot of tough subjects in Fridays Forward. Bob's newsletter has topics that I absolutely love, the, the urgent versus important article. I love that, that concept. This, Most this people stop- struggle with that, and that's a big oh, one people struggle with. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, and the uh, stop doing list, that's one of my very favorite. And then, you know, Things like body armor and straight talk. Oh, and the one about perfect moments. So tell me of your, of your writing on the newsletter, something that you think, or a few topics that might be helpful for people right now, where we're all kind of struggling with this transition time. Did anything pop to mind when I ask you that? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think the perfect moments one was a, 
is is a good one in terms of and look, that was a tough one for me. It was a tough one for people who came out of this book, Chasing Daylight, which was a story of a guy who basically found out he had three months to live and sort of documented, you know, what he did with that. But you know, people are are, are dying to get back to to travel and to, you know, go to Vegas and to go eat and like they want to do stuff. But, but I think what, look, what we've been missing the most clearly is the human, you know, element. And we know that it's not really recreated digitally. And, and, and so I think it's as much as we, you know, as we get back to, you know, he, the, the perfect moments came from, you know, he went around and basically planned these last dates with his whole network, knowing that it was the last time that he was going to see these people again, including his, parents and mother uh, his mother and brother and i mean the tough stuff to 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 read for people that have have read it but you know he was doing this knowing that it was the last time and i was thinking you know really like it came to me in the pandemic like as we're thinking about these things we can do like as i'm planning my travel and stuff like it i'm trying to do something with my college friends and with each of my kids and with my wife it's like you know it's really it's less about like I need to go to Vegas, then who do I want to do something with or spend that quality time? Because I think, I think what this has shown us is, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're missing that human connection, you know, more, more than anything. And zoom is great, but it is not, it is not a, a, a replacement. And look, you don't, you don't know when your time's up and you don't know when that is your last moment. So you, you might as well make them, make them good. So uh, yeah, the, the, the message of that was just to sort of tie that principle of like, you know, let, let's not let's not get a little superficial in our desire to just spend money, go to Vegas, get hammered. Like I know we all need to get the hell out of our houses, but I, I think who we do stuff with is probably as important as what we do. Yeah, it so is. It so is. It goes with this urgent versus important yeah. concept too, because we do seem to spend a lot of our days stamping out fires and saying, "Oh, I'll call her when," or "Oh, I'll do that yeah. when." You know, I think it's an important concept. Give give me your take on urgent versus important. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, a list, you know, you'd say, look, there's things that are urgent and important, important and unurgent, urgent but not important and not important and not urgent, right? And and most of us do the the biggest flip flop that everyone makes is the they do the urgent and not important before the important and not urgent. And some of that is because you've let it sit long enough. If you let everything important sit, it will eventually become urgent and important. And, and and one skill that I have really honed in on, and I've taken this from the organizational principles of alignment, and, and I talk about this in Elevate, is, is, is just, look, and it's not something that comes naturally. It's a constant recalibration of, I have my goals. I have my annual goals. I have my quarterly goals. I sit down almost every day and recalibrate my tasks to the quarterly goals, which are tied to the annual goals, which are tied. And I say, look, I have this quarterly thing, you know, this, 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 there was one, it was a, something about a, a letter that I, my wife and I wanted to work on for our kids as part of our trust and estate planning. And, you know, you see, I see it there, like, and, and I see it there and I'm like, all right, today I just got to sit down and write a page, right? Because the big things like the mountains on, on there, which are usually important, but not urgent, they're far away. We, 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 we don't take a step and then we don't take a step. And then it's still this huge mountain that we just don't get to. So, you know, it, I don't go two days without looking at that thing. And I put it on my website, the tool, it's called the whole life dashboard. You can download it for free, but it, it's, it's got goals, vision, value, quarterly goal. Like, and it's, I, I am constantly recalibrating and being like, all right, 
if I do four things today, which of these, how do these four support these things that I said were important in 90 day and the 90 day ones support the, mm-hmm. so, so that's, that's how you get away make sure you, that you focus on the, on the important, the important ones tend to need down payments. The urgent ones that we do first are ones where like, you know what, I've been wanting to do the dry cleaning for like three weeks and I could just go drop it off. I'm not even, I don't even need it. Right. And I haven't gotten dressed in two <laughs> years, but I'll feel really good checking that off my list. Yeah versus doing one-tenth of the other thing. And so, but you make that decision enough and then you have zero-tenths and you have a lot of clean laundry that you're not using. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. I'm going to add the diagram for the urgent and important. It's a Think of it like four squares in a square. And boy, when you start putting what your your to-do list each day in one of those four categories. And of course you never do that category. That's not right. urgent and not important, but most of us would, unless we actually labeled things. And like the important that. ones are bigger. So let's say yeah. I've had like, I'm planning a trip with each of my kids. Right. And then I look, so I get halfway through the quarter. I'm like, Oh, I haven't done it. So I need, I need to get one trip going with one kid. Right. I need, I like, I, I, I need to make some, yeah. you know, movement in that, in that direction. And so that, yeah. that sort of morning routine, it's a constant recalibration. Like a, a alignment theory is the, the, one of the true organizational things mm-hmm. I believe in, which, right. If you get everyone, if you're clear what you want on the top, you get everyone aligned to that. Then the people at the bottom are doing the most important things, even if they don't know that they're doing it. I mean, that's the same thing that we need personally, which is to like break it down every week or day and be like, what are the tasks today that sort of, build up the pyramid to the, to the top thing. Absolutely. I, I did manage to take a really good trip with each one of my kids abroad independently. And that was, you know, there are memories there that usurp yeah. anything I might've done with that time, anything. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm going to make sure we, we do is turn people onto your whole life dashboard, because a lot of what Bob will say, I've heard a lot of Bob's message over time. And a lot of what Bob's talking about can be organized, you know, in that one place. He's really, that's a really wonderful tool that you're sharing with people. Yeah. You can just download it. Uh, yeah. It's at robertglazer.com under resources. Mm-hmm. And it just, it pulls together a lot of this stuff. Again, it's from organization, it's from organizational sort of planning best practices for company and organization. Like mm-hmm. what's your vision, what's your value, what your goals, you know, and then what do you need to, to do to, to, yeah. to get that done? Yeah. So I guess we're so we're just dancing around the edges of what one of the things that you're doing recently that I absolutely adore. I have my little card right here, Bob. <laughs> you got you got five. I got five. <laughs> yeah. So Bob, we're gonna not miss anything. Here's here's Bob's book that I absolutely love and is is all earmarked, which I want to ask him some questions about in the second half of the show. But Bob, let's spend some time with this because I want to take all the time that we need. Bob's created a course about getting absolute clarity about what you really value, your deepest values, and then really using that knowledge to answer most of life's hardest questions. Whether I do this or I do that, what's next? What do I prioritize with all life's demands? So take us into this, into a little journey about your thoughts on sorting out your deepest values. Yeah, and I'll take it from two two branches. So, you know, the framework that I talk about in Elevate of capacity building really starts with spiritual capacity, which is not religious, but it's understanding your values and what you want most, because then sort of deciding what you need to learn and how you need to improve and your physical well-being and the relationships you need, all of that really aligns around that. And so people 
I, I alluded to it in that book and people who read that book, uh, Elevate would say, okay, great. Well, you know, here's some resources. I, I, I'm, I'm sold. I need to understand my values. How do I do that? And I'm like, well, it, it's, I can give you a bunch of resources, but it's not super simple. So, so then separate, separate track, you know, I, I, it was a process I went through after an intensive leadership program, I think seven years ago. Now I've been saying five years for two years. So it's probably seven years. And there wasn't, I was like, wow, I need to understand my core values because it's very clear to me the importance of that. But, but I, no one gave us any tools. Like I went and found stuff online. I, I worked on it for six or 12 months, but no one gave me the playbook. So I, I pulled some stuff together. It, it was, once I had those five core values and I felt like they were a hundred percent, it was, it was just transformative for me. I lined my business around it my life. Like that's, if you look at what I was doing seven years ago and you read off my resume, like none of that exists before seven years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that that was like the key accelerant for me. You know, then I built leadership training programs in our organization. One of them was meant for our new leaders to sort of mimic that program I went to. I was like, look, I want to do this with our leaders. So we, we over two years, I, I built that into a curriculum. We went through this program. We saw the impact of people having that. And they didn't understand why we were helping them figure out their core values, not the organization. I was like, look, you can't lead unless you authentically, unless you know this stuff. And you can take this stuff to your team and say, like, this is who I am or otherwise. And so we had really great outcomes. And over two years, we improved it, fixed it, whatever. And then, and then eventually, it was really good. And I, that's, they sort of collided. I said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this exact curriculum into a course and open it up. And people who really want to do this work, you know, and, and it's an hour course, but it's not, it's not an hour work. I, I just think it's, it's game changing for people. And, and particularly coming out of this pandemic, where you have tough choices about relationship and vocation and all these things. And you think about the good and bad choices people made under duress. I just, I don't think you ever make a bad decision that's in alignment with your, with your values. You know, I think people made some decisions and stuff they're really going to regret. In fact, had I not had those values, I, I would have given up on Friday Ford because I early on, I would have said, you know what, what the hell is this? It doesn't make money. It doesn't like whatever. I don't know why I'm doing this. It seems like a distraction. But when, when I actually like it just checked all of my core value boxes. And, and I, like I said, I don't think you can go wrong doing something that's very aligned with your core values. And I use this notion of the big three. So that being, you know, your chosen vocation or where you work, where you live and the community you are and your partner. And I, I think that I'm not saying like in, in the sense of culture that people should be homogeneous or you, my wife and I are not the same married like you. But if you're not aligned on the big value-oriented stuff, I, I don't think it would work. So I think particularly when you're talking about these decisions of like, where do I want to live and what community do I want to be in? Who do I want to choose as a partner? And where do, what do I want to work or what's my chosen vocation? If those aren't value-aligned, I think there's a high degree of failure. And those are some pretty big... That's what core, Clarity on Core Values does. It's a decision-making matrix for you personally. And if you get those wrong, those are those are tough ones. It is tough. You know, I recently had a big family upheaval. I had to go from where I live in Vermont. By the way, I'm looking out the window at four and a half inches of snow. <laughs> where, where is your, where, yeah, this is we in live, Vermont? Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we live about an hour south of Montreal, yeah. just wow. across the border. And the, there's four and a half inches of snow out there. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I was I was outside in t-shirt and shorts to 70 degrees yesterday, and it's 32 today. Oh, <laughs> Oh, and I and just so you know, if anybody's watching the podcast and wondering what this is over here, this is an ice skating accident back to those northern sports that are dangerous. So I digress there a minute. I wanted to share with you that I, I, I had to go back to the family farm in Illinois to take care of a big family emergency for a month. 
And I missed this card, Bob. So when you go through Bob's course, he oh, here's what you, exactly what you need to take his course. There's seven pieces of paper here, and they're all filled out dutifully. The, the course doesn't come with the paper. No, you, you have, have to, to provide your own paper. Your own paper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but and I and I could do without those. Although, oh my gosh, you know, I, I took it to heart. His course takes his course is one hour long, but if you move yourself through it with good intention. It it's it's it feels like it goes by in a snap, and it and it will take longer only because uh, you feel like you're on a journey of discovery. Yeah, so anyway, and there's some trial and error coming out of it. Yes. Where you got to go. I say you got to go road test this stuff and make yeah. sure it feels right. Yeah. Well, that's that's exactly what happened. Is I didn't realize before I left for Illinois how much I was glancing at this card when I had a moment of indecision. And I missed it. And I'm going back next Thursday and I'm taking this card with me because every once in a while it pays. To you just can copy it. it. You know, you can take a picture <laughs> of it. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about it. Original, original in my yeah. original. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if there's tears there or not, Bob. But so take us through a little bit of maybe some practical personal stories that you have come up against when it, you, you've given us a few already. How about during the pandemic? You know, I try and be very graceful and collaborative. And that's a challenge when I go back to this family farm and, and you've got all the family stuff of 40 years, you know, give us some practicalities about really knowing your values under times that are challenging. Yeah. So one of my core values is, is respectful authenticity. And in fact, that's where the whole um, transition, you know, program comes from, which is like, look, Let's tell you the truth, but how do we be respectful? And I think that that was the communication style that we chose to take as a company. I mean, last March and April, we were losing a client a day. Like it was, it was scary. And and you know, we communicated pretty proactively. We told people what was going on. You know, we tried to you know reassure them that you know we would we'd figure it out, but that it wasn't pretty, and we weren't hiding that. And and it's interesting, you know, and this went to uh, one of the most popular Friday Fords ever, which was the Stockdale Paradox, which was a framework, you know, that I used. But it it, yeah. it, it was, we heard from people early on, like, and again, let's, let's think about a 20-year-old who's, you know, been working for 10 years, who hasn't even seen a recession, right? So they're not even believing what's going on, because they've never lived in a work environment that's not up, up and to the right, and, and, and stuff's falling apart pretty quickly. And yeah. and so those of us who look, I, I, I dated myself. I mean, I, my, my work career has just been up and then catastrophe. So like I came out of school and it was one or two years of the internet boom. And then it was a dot com. And then, you know, 10 years later, kind of middle of my career was the, you know, real estate. Cra- <laughs> I mean, there's just, I haven't had a garden variety of recession. It has been just, and, and look, the lessons from talking to everyone from the lessons of 2008 and 2009 were like, act fast, conserve cash. Like that's the thing that everyone said that, you know, their banks pulled their lines, they got, you know, all kinds of stuff that happened. And, and, and and so, you know, had those advisors. So a lot of people early on were like, why are you tormenting us? Like, why are you telling us all this terrible stuff? And and we're, you know, we were being very honest and direct with people. And then two weeks later, their partner, spouse, roommate or whatever, were all losing their jobs at companies that hadn't communicated anything to them, hadn't even told them anything was going wrong. And then there was like this huge kind of appreciation and wake up of like, well, you know what, thank you for like telling us, you know, the truth about what was, you know, what, what, what was going on. And, 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 and that became this sort of Stockdale paradox thing, which is like, you know, that you need to, you need to have something to look forward to. We were like, look, we're going to get through this. Like it's going to be our defining moment, but it's not going to be easy. 
you know, and, and it was the story of Admiral Stockdale. And, and, you know, there's two sides. You either are woefully negative and, and no one believes there's another side. And, you know, why even continue, right? If it's just going to be terrible and torment or you're just blissfully ignorant. And the famous story of Stockdale, who was a prisoner of war, I think in, in Vietnam or maybe in what? what? Is, it the, is it the Korean War? Korean, yeah, maybe it was Korea. And so Jim Collins is saying to him, so, you know, you made it through seven years and all this stuff. He goes, who like didn't make it? Like who, who, you know, who was the least resilient? And he said, well, that's easy. The optimists. And Collins is like, what do you mean the optimists? Aren't they the, aren't they the ones he's like, yeah, they just always thought they were going home by Thanksgiving or Christmas or Valentine's day. And very similar to what Viktor Frankl said in, you know, in, in, in man's search for meaning. And then when that didn't happen, they were just sort of broken. So, you know, he, he always assumed that it would work out in the end, but he never avoided the realities of, of where they were. And, and, and I think, again, it just, that to me was just a very authentic style of communication. I'll give you another example that's actually happened twice around why we do this in leadership training. First, when someone discovers a core value, and, and I try to, I am not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist, but I always ask this question and I give them a big out. And I'm like, so does that, does that come from like a personal place for you? Like, when you were a kid or otherwise, and you'll see a lump in their throat or something where I'm like, I just want to know, I don't need to know the story, but like, you know, very strong values like that tend to come from very formative experiences. So like we've had, we had two people go through the process and, and they had different core values, but let's say that they were really tied to trust. The trust was like a paramount core value for them. Well, by the second or third time I heard this, I would go to them and say, well, let me ask you something. When people on your team are five minutes late for a call, late for a deadline, you know, like, how do you react? And they're like, not well, like, because like they're in the penalty box. And these are, these are signs that I can't trust this person and trust is, is deep for them. So what we asked everyone to do when they had their core values, go back to their team and sort of present them to them and say, look, this is who I am. Here are my lines. And it was super helpful for those people to say to their teams, look, Trust is really important to me. So you know that I, you can trust me. But on the flip side, I need to know I can trust you. And so like being reliable and doing these things are really important indicators of trust to me. Like suddenly now they were able to like have some communication around this, which was a big, you know, trigger point. One, one person who went through it identified that self-awareness was a really important core value directly as a result of an experience with a parent of theirs. And that they were coming down on their team pretty hard when they showed any lack of self-awareness, you know, rather than being able to explain that to them. So we, we actually saw 360 feedback scores of these managers go up pretty dramatically after they went to their teams and said, look, this is, this is me. This is who I am. This is how I lead. Basically giving their teams the playbook to, to manage them. And look, one thing you might find if you, if we, you and I have five values, Linda, and we're, we, we, have like an inverse value or something on one, like we can work around that. If yes. three or four of them are sort of diametrically opposed, we are, this is like core, the like core bats, we are going to butt heads. Like it, it may be that we're a company that one of us should join on a different team because sometimes these are not like good or bad values, ostensibly like the opposite of some things like gratitude, like ungrateful, like you don't want. But sometimes it might be, you know, someone who's really like about, you know, patience and getting it right. And someone who just values like moving quickly and excitement. And, and, and if you three out of five are in conflict, like kind of like a marriage, like it's going to be all the time. Like it, it's going to be like that. And, you know, so we've even had a discussion around, you know what, I think this person is actually really good, but maybe they just probably not, maybe might not be the right person for my team. Now that I 
I am clear that we have some real, you know, core value challenges. You know, that is a really good point, Bob, because when I had my five there, I've known my husband, we started dating when we were 14 years old, we were just children. And I started to look at each one of mine. And I could find two that I, I know him so well. I'm quite the opposite of him in two out of three. And it explains yeah. it explains it's probably where most of your tension comes friction. from. Most of your fights. All yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah, all of the friction. And that made me think of of people on my team who I've known for 30 years yeah. who have who I absolutely adore, who I have so much respect for. And there are friction spots there. <laughs> and I could look at this card and know exactly. And the awareness, again, it's not that we can't. But the awareness is super, you know, helpful, you know, around this. And 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 you now say, look, we this we are just this is an issue. We are going to come at this issue from fundamentally different, you know, directions. I I was just listening to an interview that Adam Grant did with Abby Wambach and her wife. I'm now uh, forgetting her name, and they they fight about food constantly. And Abby said, I came from a house where there was not enough food, right. and if you didn't. If you didn't finish your dinner, you were, you couldn't have seconds in it. By the time you finished, someone else had the seconds and it wasn't there. And so I, I, I do not want to feel like that. And if I am buying the food for my family, there's always going to be enough. And the other person, you know, came from and her wife came from, you know, a, a more of a scarcity environment and like, you know, uh, like not overspending and wasteful. And they just this one issue, like it clearly afford the pizza, right? Like it wasn't an issue, but this this was like a a war every time like Abby would bring home four pizzas for two people and the over ordering just felt like waste. And like her childhood was about not wasting, yes. you know, because there's not enough. And so they came to this agreement that they could order the extra food, but they would agree to eat it as leftovers the next day or something right. like that. But yeah. it was just an interesting, it was an interesting, you know, th- 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 there's just a, you know, they both had this formative childhood experience that had an opposite approach to it until they actually understood why it just was very transactional, right? Mm-hmm. It was you're ordering all this food and wasting and like you're being ridiculous. Like we yeah. can afford the food. Why are we not buying the food? Yeah, but when you have these moment, these aha moments about yourself and yeah. then, you know, if you're working with someone for 30 years, you surely know them. If you've, if you've had a partner for years and years, you certainly know their, their history enough to go, yeah. ah, that's why we have so much friction. And that always helps me just cool my thrusters is if I can just say, oh, we're going to disagree right. about this every time. And, and it can't be any other way. Right. And you're going to have those one or two. But I, I would say if your husband was five opposite, oh, no. you'd be like, I can't do this all day. Like, yeah. it's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's another realistic part of the framework that you're op- you're giving us yeah. is that, you know, if I had somebody on my team that f- four out of five was a, not a good fit, you know, you can have a you can have a decent conversation about the not fitting this. Because it's not going to surprise them. They know you, you know them. And then maybe that's a nicer stepping off point than having every relationship end in a crash and burn. Yeah. And, and, and look, just understanding the why behind Mm -hmm. these things is, Mm -hmm. is important. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, most of these things actually just knowing them, the, the, the whole point of this process is people can put a word and a label on it and have it there and be like, oh, this is what's going on. Like, wow, now I, you know, why am I getting so pissed off at my sister-in-law? Right. And it's because like my, I have a value of gratitude and she is constantly whining that her trust fund is not enough. And like, this is just a, 
this is, you know, this is, <laughs> this does, doesn't work for us. Like we need, so we need to stay away from this or, you know, I actually just recorded two bonus lessons for the two most common things I, I get asked around the core value stuff. And one is like, and it actually is a lot of in-law situations where yes. you have to stay in a relationship because you value one of the, you know, you have to deal yeah. with someone you really struggle with because of the other relationship. And, right. and in those cases, it's almost a little bit of a dissociative wall you have to put up. You almost yeah. have to some stoicism. Like, I'm going to go over to their house. She is going to say these things that inflame me and I am going to not react. <laughs> you know, and like, you almost have to just play the movie out in advance and be like, I, I know what's going to happen. I'm not going to react. We're going to move on because there is my niece and nephew and these other relationships that are really important. Like I didn't, I didn't choose this person, this, but someone important to me chose this person. Yeah, that's right. Oh, this is, this is great. This is the kind of stuff that um, I think the pandemic's given us a, a bit of a pause to think about, you know, when we were all on the treadmill, just leaning into and falling forward and all the terms you want to use, we, you know, but now we're, sitting in our living rooms with, with people a lot. We could both take your course. In fact, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't had Chuck take the course yet. And I'm going to make sure when we get, uh, when we get some time this weekend, I've got the perfect moment Sunday afternoon. I'm going to have him do that because it has made me a lot more self-aware. Yeah. And I really yeah and over the last year, right. I, I think between a lot of things that went on, I think a lot of people looked around between some of the, you know, social stuff that went on and economic work and said, Oh, like, I don't want to be in the foxhole with this company. Like, you know, I now I'm seeing how this leader behave or or I'm watching what my friend is posting on Facebook and I I am not sure we value the same things. And so yeah. I think values really come out when you put a little pressure, you know, you put in a pressure cooker. It's actually when you want to double down on your values and not. So I, I think a lot of people, you know, last year, not not to get political, but said, look, I I'm not sure I can be good friends with someone who just posted this on Facebook. Like mm-hmm. if this is really what they believe, like this is diametrically opposed to what I believe. Right. And so that's why I think this has been a really important recalibration point for people around mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm going forward. You know, I might not have wanted to leave my job if I still had it. But like, if I realize that these are not people that share my values or I'm be on the foxhole and this may be a good time to, to shift and to, yeah. to do that. Absolutely. Okay, let's take a pause here uh, for a break. We um, at Ever Widening Circles, we've begun to bring people together around this concept that we like to talk about called the conspiracy of goodness. So I'm going to pause here for a moment and talk to people about the conspiracy of goodness network. So we'll take a pause and we'll be back with Bob Glazer. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others? for the good that's in the world, and becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day, we have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all, people like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, 
and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world, those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place, are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. So, Bob, we were talking about the the values course, and and you mentioned at the opening of that part of our conversation about this four-part, I don't know what you call it, a plan, four-part framework, that's a better word, from from the book Elevate. So, here's Bob's book. Doesn't come with the red stickies. Yeah, 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 the the pink stickies. And I and on I don't know what page it is, as early as page eight, Bob talks about this framework that he's got. And he spoke about it a little bit, but give us the framework of the four key things that you'd like to talk about are important for us to consider rather than just run through life on autopilot. Yeah. So so there are four capacities and think of them as like chambers of a ball. And you know, if they are growing in tandem, you and it's rolling down a hill, you're getting you know, more, more mass and, and, and momentum. And if one of them was totally out of whack on this ball, it would be bouncing all over the place. And, and, and so that spiritual capacity is first. So that's, what do I want? What are my values? What's kind of my North star? Intellectual capacity is how do I learn, plan, execute, get better, discipline? So this is, this is like your personal operating system. And this is why it really helps to know what it is that you want and what your values are, because this is where you set your goals, figure out your routine, you know, learn. It helps determine the, the, the direction. Physical capacity is kind of what it sounds like. It's our physical and mental well-being. It's kind of the vehicle that carries you along. And look, we all see what happens when our physical capacity diminishes. We lose sight of our goals. We get irritable. We, you know, we, 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 we don't focus on the big picture. And then the last one is, is emotional capacity, which is really like our relationships with other people and how we relate to the world around us and the things that we don't control. So, so I always use, I like using the race car analogy, which is like, if you're going to build a race car, spiritual capacity would be designing it. Intellectual capacity would be building it. Physical capacity would be like testing it out on a racetrack. And then emotional capacity would be like, what happens when you actually put it on the road and there are other drivers and all kinds of stuff. And it's not in a perfect environment. And, and so as I, as again, I gave the example on physical. So think about it. If you let your, you get yourself exhausted, out of shape, not heating. Well, well, you get you get cranky with your people you know, right? It really hurts your emotional capacity. Uh, and then we talked about, you know, it impacts, you know, you, you lose your discipline. That's a lot of your intellectual capacity. And I think you move away from the big important things too. So I think all of them, spiritual capacity is the one where if you do the work, 
it should hold for a pretty good period, like five or 10 years. Like I, it doesn't move that often. It may need some recalibrating. The other ones I think are a constant battle of trying to make sure that you're, you're focused on. No, I love the image, the, the graphics, and, and we'll put, try and put that in the show notes here. But I love this graphic because, you know, life does move smoother, like the circle that's got all the four capacities in alignment than the, the diagram where we're short here and there. What do you find is your, is your toughest um, one to manage and keep up with? Oh, it's, it's physical. I mean, I felt like a hypocrite because in launching this book, Elevate, I like depleted all of my physical capacity <laughs> for three months to where I fell across the finish line. So I, I yeah, I think emotional is, is the hardest for a lot of people because it's, it's the thing that they don't control and it involves a lot of difficult decisions. Look, a, a pandemic is a perfect example of something that we don't control, but how do we respond to it? And a lot of people, the problem with emotional capacity is they ascribe a lot more to the things that they don't control than they do control. So like none of us control the fact that there was a global pandemic, but let's take two restaurants, you know, and restaurant A, the person is, is fearful and they say, look, I just, you know, I'm, I'm closing up the doors and I'm running away and this pandemic happened and woe is me and I can't do what I normally do. And the next person goes, I got to keep my people employed. And they sign up for DoorDash and Uber and all these delivery things and they build wholesale baskets and they do whatever they can. Like, both of those people experienced the same stimulus, but they had a lot more control about what happened next than they wanted to give themselves credit for. So I always say like my, my barometer, no, no pun intended, of, of people with high and a low emotional capacity is like the weather and weather apps. Like I'll have some unnamed relatives <laughs> who spend so much time I'm on these weather. Oh my God, it's going to rain in two days. I'm like, you, it, it, it's going to rain two days. So like have an umbrella that like you, you don't control this. Like, why are you so stressed about it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But right there that your last sentence right there is the important thing. Yeah. There are so many things we can't control. Why are we so stressed? So about I cannot it? control that it's going to rain in two days, but I could say, you know what? So I'm not going to do my hike that day. I'm going to put on a raincoat and I'm going to do X. Or that's the day I'm going <sighs> to do the project that I've been wanting to get around to, or just, you know, uh, and the car accident example is another one, right? So, you know, you and I get in a car accident at eight o'clock in the morning, this morning. And, you know, being the person you are, you're like, oh, you know what? I have great insurance. Like I could have been worse. Like, and I feel really lucky and you go to work and you have three great interactions and, and you go on. And then later that day, you close a big deal. And I, and I come back and I'm like, bleeping Linda, you know, and I'm, I'm pissed off and I get on a call and I'm short with the first person I talk to and I have a prospect and I'm still angry. Like you and I experienced the same thing. What came next, it was a lot more personal responsibility than we want to give it credit for. So we cannot control so much of what we experience, but we can control 100% of what comes next. Right. And what's the I mean, reaction? It, yeah. it, 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 it's almost like you just have to eliminate the past. All the, how did it happen? Why did it happen? I wish I saved more. Like, we're here. Like, this is, this is the sort of pandemic. We're here. Like, you know, brutal reality. We're here. What do we do next? What do we control? What a shoulda, coulda is, is not helpful in any of these situations. Oh, and that is so true. Okay. So another part of the book that I really, really loved is this concept of most of us give the impression that we don't want feedback. 
that makes us uncomfortable. So people don't give it to us. I am in this, I'm in this mode these days where I'm talking about preserving other people's dignity. And when I think about that and how we can give other people feedback, I don't think we're taught to get or receive feedback with any dignity at all. No, that's, that's probably true. You know, the feedback that we probably have, you know, associative negative feedback with teachers or parents yelling at us or that sort of thing, but not in, not in a constructive way. Uh, yeah, we do training around giving feedback with people and how to depersonalize it. We say feedback is about getting better in our organization. Yeah. It's not about, you can't wait, you know, Ritz-Carlton, I think, had a rule that we try to adopt sort of 72 hours. You either give it or you never talk about it again. Because for me to sit down with you at your check-in, you know, four months later and come with a list of things that you did that pissed me off like four months ago, mm-hmm. it is it, kind of pointless. It's like targeting. It's like it, if it was about fixing the problem, I, I should have said, hey, Linda, you know, when you're starting your podcast and you do X, like, you, you know, you probably don't want to do that because it's an awkward moment of silence rather than letting you have 20 more podcasts where you do, where you do that. So, so yeah, I think people forget about the point of feedback and yeah, if you, if you do not, if you get feedback and whether you want to ignore it or not, if you don't say thank you very much, you won't get it anymore. So your blind spots, we had a partner that we worked with, you know, years ago and we just kept giving them feedback about stuff. We kept, they kept ignoring it. And we're like, look, clients aren't happy with your product on this. And then the client started leaving and they kind of get mad at us. And we were like, and, and then you're like, like, why didn't you tell us about this? Like, guys, we tried. We three, four times tried to give you the feedback. You told us we misunderstood your product. We didn't understand it. We were telling you the clients were frustrated with it. So like people aren't going to do it if you don't, you know, make it sound like. So whether you believe it or not, or whether you should smile and look at whoever business or otherwise and say, thank you very much. I appreciate that feedback. Yeah. Or you'll never get it again. And and and, and we all have blind spots. And, and it's really helpful for people to be telling us stuff to our face that they're telling people behind our back. Oh, wouldn't you rather know? Yeah. Yeah. That's how you get better, right? I'd rather know that I was pissing off half my company that I wasn't pissing <laughs> off half my company. Again, I don't have to agree with it, but yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, this is, this look, is it's been t- very helpful for me. There's some feedback that I have not agreed with, but realized like I have to be very, very careful with my words as the CEO of a 200 person company, like it, it, you know, there people are looking for interpretation. They're looking for meaning that's not there. And, and, and I'm someone who tries to be authentic. So I don't, I don't like that. I have to do that, but I've learned that that's the reality, right? I have mm-hmm. to be, I have to be careful how and what I say, because people are reading a lot of things that may not even be there. And I, you know, I, I, I had to learn that by people giving me feedback about taking an interpretation out of something I said that I would not have expected. Mm-hmm. And you know, that acting graceful when someone, think how hard it is for others to give us feedback, especially people like you and I who have rather big personalities. I'm always so grateful for their courage. Yeah. (laughs) It's really true. So let's talk about gratitude just a little bit. Uh, you, You have this great quote in the book about people who are grateful also don't feel like the world owes them anything. They believe it's their responsibility to go out and get it. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's kind of two camps out there, right? There, there's people who feel that, you know, they're owed something, they're entitled something. I mean, I, this is one of the interesting things about the pandemic. Like, we've had a pretty, despite all the things in the world, we've had a pretty good run the last 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. in the world, right? Of just, 
even though we have so many bad things, there's a lot of media, you know, around it now than before. But but like it's been a pretty peaceful, prosperous time in the history, the large history of the world, right? But people act like you know a pandemic or a surprise or a recession or whatever. Like like that's not you know that wasn't part of the plan. Like that was like they're not entitled to. It's not entitled to be bad at all. And and again, it's that sort of surprise around that like. The expectation was that everything should go right, you know, for them. And I think that's that's just a different sort of perspective. They're like, look, I, I feel really grateful when things are going right, but sometimes they you have stuff like this. And and I, I just think it's a it, it's a mindset. Again, there's some really some people who think that like this was done to them, stuff was taken from them. Mm-hmm. Like this is just how life works. <laughs> I think to some sense. It is. It yeah. is just, I call it uh, for myself. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster ride. And once yeah. I sort of frame it up with that, you know, we're uh, right. even on the loop to loop parts, most of us are smiling. And none, none of us were guaranteed <laughs> peace and prosperity. We never signed yeah. some contract that, you know, said that, or I, uh, so I, I think that's just, I, you know, I think, I think historically actually resilience and suffering was much more of culture yeah. and happiness and, and, there's an irony if you've read the book Tribes or or anything mm-hmm. like that, that I actually think without any of that in people's lives, as people move up the socioeconomic ladder, when they reach any sort of speed bump, they are disproportionately impacted. Mm-hmm. And there, there's the self-awareness to know when you're in that mode. Yeah. As well. But really, that's what Bob's work is, works well with for me. Bob Bob's work gives me a lot of self-awareness. I You really caused me to ponder. And we haven't even talked about the podcast, give us the gist of what you're doing on the podcast, because that would be so helpful for people that are liking this podcast. You, you do the same thing, but you have a bit more focus than I do. Uh, yeah. So so the podcast, Friday Friday, they all focus on different elements kind of, of of capacity building. So I find people who are kind of leaders in their field that has a business leadership bent, but it's also about just performance and improvement and and you know you literally could go down the spectrum of probably people who come on and talk about spiritual capacity intellectual you know physical or 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 emotional so i just like talking to really interesting people who are you know leading in some aspect of that yeah me too and that's why you're here so tell me where people can where's the best way to access your work bob we're going to put all this in the show notes yeah uh, I spent some time over the year getting leaders all in one place. So it's pretty easy now. So if you go to robertglazergla.com, that's where Friday Forward is. That's where the podcast is. That's where the books are. And that's where the courses are. Great. Great. So the last thing I always ask uh, my my guests to ponder a bit on out loud for us is, you know, ever widening circles. Our byline is it is still an amazing world. What proves to you? What comes to mind when I say that? What proves to you that it's still an amazing world? I think the stories that find their way to me, you know, for, for Friday forward, um, I mean, that's part of it. A lot of them uh, find their way to me now, just finding these stories of people doing, you know, incredible stuff. And as you know, often not as heralded and I'm not one of these super anti negative media thing, but like, let's be honest, all media left or right is 90% negative or 95% negative. So yeah, I, I love hearing about the woman who, you know, went through hell for 10 years to develop the mRNA technology, you know, which is now saving a lot of our lives and maybe getting us back to normal or mm-hmm. all these sort of stories that that fall below the radar. And, and people are doing, you know, great stuff out there. And I think it's bringing attention to those stories is important. 
Yeah, you've got great links and you can follow any of Bob's links when in his in his newsletter too with complete assurance that you're not going to wind up somewhere weird. In fact, it some place that really leaves you elevated. So Bob, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and you're certainly proving it's still an amazing world. And thank you for sharing your insights with the world in so many platforms. It's just a gift. It really is. Thank you for having me and thank you for uh, everything you're doing as well. So for more information about every single thing, heck, I was taking notes here. I've got one, two, three. I've got about eight things that we talked about that will be in the show notes, books and podcasts and all kinds of uh, an article. You know, one thing you mentioned, the Adam Grant interview with Amy. Uh, Abby Wambach uh, on his work life podcast. He just did that. Great. I want to make sure I have that. So you'll have access to all this down in the show notes. And please go rate this podcast. You know, we're currently pushing up towards uh, being in the top 25% of podcasts by downloads. And the only way things get better for my podcast and, and Bob's is if you rate and review the podcast, because that elevates and, and gets us exposure to the wider and wider group of people. And thanks to our affiliate partners. We've got some amazing people that are helping us prove that it is still an amazing world through through those those featured partners. And remember to check out the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. We can open a new era for us all if those of us who are really working hard to make the world a better place come together, collaborate, and become multipliers for each other's good intention. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. I hope goodness and progress falls your way many, many times each day and you pass it on. 